Hello and welcome to 14 Points. I am your host of Ginger Sandu and today I want to talk about China and where government money comes from. So let's dive right into it. So first, I want to talk about the Belt and Road Initiative. Now, the Belt and Road Initiative is something that China has started and it's referred to as the New Silk Road. Now, let's start off with a little context. The original Silk Road was um was a westward uh, um the original silk road actually arose during westward expansion of china's han dynasty in 206 bce to uh to 220 ce which um and it forged trade networks throughout what are today uh central asian countries uh, afghanistan uh kazakhstan kyrgyzstan Kyrgyz, uh tajik turkmenistan uzbekistan and and as well as uh, modern day india and pakistan to the south now those routes extended more than 4000 miles to europe and then so central asia was thus the epicenter of one of the first waves of globali- globalization connecting eastern and western markets and it spurred immense wealth and an intermixed cultural and religious traditions valuable chinese silk spices jade and other goods moved west while china received gold and other precious metals ivory and glass products so basically it was just a giant road it was just a trade center it was basically a bunch of countries coming together and trading so basically it was china was the center of global trade and now that's what china wants to do again it wants to be the center of global trade once again so that is why xi jinping in 2013 launched the belt and road initiative it's also sometimes referred to as the new silk road because of uh, what it's trying to do so when i post my sources on my website i'll make sure to post a picture of what the proposed um proposed uh initiative looks like because it looks a lot like the old silk road because all what it's doing is just it's connecting china and making it the center of global trade now some experts see the project as an unsettling extension of china's rising power and i mean and i mean i would i would too because china has gained a lot of a lot of uh, power since it's entered the global stage and a lot of opposition has grown and the fact is that it's crazy to think that what china is doing is basically building their own their own infrastructure to trade in other countries like they're going into other countries and building what they told them they were going to build like so basically some countries have already done this i mean italy was the first eu member to i'm I'm pretty sure it was italy to actually join the belt and road initiative now this is a major issue because especially because europe has been america's territory for at least for for at least since the start of world war ii not since the start of world war ii actually since the end of world war ii when it helped rebuild europe now this is this is crazy because we've always been adhered to the idea of american hegemony we've always been adhered to the idea of america being a global superpower america solving the world's problems but the thing is china is showing that it's willing to take the necessary steps to become the next superpower and become the next world hegemon so it's it's pretty scary stuff and to think the fact that China's economic China's economy has also grown and it's it's one of the reasons why they can actually take on a project like this which is why which is why they're trying to expand their uh, power around the globe so and uh, especially especially now that um, that the American hegemony as some would argue is degrading and and some would argue that it's um it's actually 
not uh, what it used to be um not what it used to be when uh, the world war ii ended so it's actually it's actually scary to see that china is actually taking on its on its uh ideas for globalization so the um, the plan was two-pronged so they have an overland silk road the economic belt and maritime silk road so they were referred to as one belt and one road so but it eventually became the bri the belt and road initiative and it wants to it wants to create a vast network of railways, energy pipelines, highways, streamlined border crossings, both westwards through the mountainous, mountainous former Soviet republics and southward to Pakistan, India, and the rest of Southeast Asia. Such a network would expand the international use of Chinese currency. And yeah, so that's also one thing I'm going to dive into today is a. Uh, is uh, why um, why the American dollar is so powerful and why it's one of the reasons it American hegemony is so powerful and it's why it's why we need the American dollar to stay so powerful so that America can uh, stay the world hegemon. So so yeah so so that's what the Chinese Silk Road is. Hopefully I explained it uh, in a way that you understand simply what it is. I mean, if you want to learn more, I'll I'll put the Council um, uh, the Council on Foreign Relations article. Um, it's going to be on my website under my sources, so you can read more of it. Um, it also has the map I was uh, referring to. It basically just connects China, makes it the center of world trade. So um, I'll also post all that. All that will be posted on my website. So um, yeah. So let's just talk about. Now that we've talked about what it actually is, with some context, let's talk about what they hope to achieve from it. What they hope to achieve is that they want geopolitical, they want geopolitical power and they want economic power. You know, um, Xi Jinping, the the president of China, has also had a vision of a more assertive China. While um, while slowing economic growth and rocky trade relations have pressured the country's leadership to open new markets for its goods. So you know, China is obviously a really big world trader, second world, second largest economy, all that. So the BRI is literally one of the ways China is trying to gain geopolitical power and economic power around the globe. That's basically all that it is, in my opinion. So, yeah, and uh, we'll just have to see what happens. I mean, so far, I so far, it's um, so far, it's uh, under construction. A lot of countries have joined uh, the BRI. And so. Uh, Let's just see what happens with that. So the next thing I want to talk about is China has been buying gold. And China has been buying a lot of gold. Not just a little bit of gold, but a lot of gold. So China bought nearly 10 tons of gold in July of 2019. So it had an eight-month streak of buying gold. And it literally increased its um, reserves to 62.26 million ounces that's about 1945 ton now gold does act as a safe haven for investors its value typically rises during times of economic weakness and market volatility so when the market's unstable usually gold prices rise it's just how economics works so china china does buy gold to um to help to help itself during uh an escalated trade war with the United States because uh, a trade war does affect um, markets. It does affect it does affect the economy of China, especially because China is a very export heavy country. And um, one of the other reasons China is buying a lot of gold is that it's um, 
that it's uh, trying to diversify its holdings away from the U.S. dollar. So the, another thing, economic power. Now, now I'll dive into this more, but they're trying to diversify their holdings away from the U.S. dollar. They're trying to be less reliant on the U.S. dollar. I mean, a lot of countries are actually trying to be less reliant on the U.S. dollar because the U.S. dollar has so much power that the U.S. can bully you with sanctions if they don't like what you're doing. And since since your country has so much of its a foreign foreign currency reserves in dollars, there's nothing you can really do. So I'll dive into that more. So one of the re so China buys gold. I mean, America, I mean, the United States of America does have more gold than the next. The United States of America does have more gold than the next like two to three countries combined. But China has been increasing its stockpile to uh, diversify its holdings away from the U.S. dollar and to uh, help um, help uh, its uh, its economy and its currency while it faces trade wars with the United States. So yeah, that's um, that's a couple of the shenanigans the Chinese government has been pulling. Now. Let's talk about the U.S. dollar and where government money comes from. So I know a lot of you are always curious about where government money comes from, where um, where the government gets money to fund all its $2 trillion stimulus packages, everything, the budget. So what happens is when, when the U.S. accumulates debt, it the government sells treasury bonds. That's literally what all it does. That's literally where government money comes from. So uh, literally, the Treasury does not print um, $2 trillion just because we passed a $2 trillion stimulus package. Um, what happens is that the government sells security bonds, debt bonds, whatever you want to call them. And um, so it sells investments like corporate bonds. So security bonds, Treasury bonds, whatever you want to call them. Um, so what happens is that... The, um, the treasury doesn't print them because they can simply borrow the two trillion dollars from u.s treasury bonds u.s government bonds whatever you want to call them there's literally a lot of things you can call them i, I just call them uh, treasury bonds um but literally they borrow the two trillion dollars um i'm referring to a stimulus package that was passed uh the the cares act uh, which was passed uh, during the coronavirus that gave everybody the stimulus checks um, so they got the $2 trillion by selling U.S. government bonds. So whenever the government wants to accumulate debt and um, and uh, use money, they, they just sell off, um, they sell U.S. government bonds, which that's basically it. There's literally no other way to explain it. They, all they do is they sell U.S. government bonds. So I'm sorry, but that's the simplest I can explain it, okay? Because then it goes really, um, it really does go into more and more, um, more and more detail about um, how government bonds are bought. It doesn't really go into too much detail, but um, there's a lot. There's a lot you should know about government bonds. You, like the fact that you can buy a treasury bond too. All you have to do is go to go to the treasury's website. You you have to you have to buy at least twenty five dollars and like wait twenty years and it'll actually you know you'll actually make some money off of it because you know it it'll all be public debt. So. Yeah, so basically, the government gets money by selling off uh, government bonds to investors. That's literally it. So yeah. Now I'm sorry if I'm being really fast and explaining things in a way that um that you don't understand, but um this is really uh this is really a straightforward topic. So now let's also talk about where the government gets its money. So um individual income tax was uh fifty percent of the 
um, uh, federal rev 50% of federal revenue in the fiscal year 2019 and 7% was corporate income tax uh, and then uh, social social and payroll tax was 36% excise tax was 3% and other was 5% this uh this is from the office of management and budget and um so yeah so the federal government collected 3.5 trillion dollars in 2019 equal to equal to about 16.3% of gross domestic product over the fast over the past 50 years federal revenue has has averaged 17.4% of GDP ranging from 20% in 2000 to 14.6%, most recently in 2009 and 2010. So federal revenue comes from all the things I just listed, individual income tax, corporate income tax, social, social insurance tax, which is a payroll tax, excise tax, and other things, which they do not go into detail about what other is. So, so yeah. That is where government money comes from. Now, I want to now since we started off by talking about the Belt and Road Initiative, and then after we talked about how China has been using gold to try to diversify its holdings away from the U.S. dollar, I want to talk a little bit about the U.S. dollar. Now, the U.S. dollar is the world's most powerful currency. It is the world's reserve currency, and and it's one of the reasons why the United States is a financial superpower. Now, the United States, the United States dollar or the U.S. dollar, became the world's reserve currency in in uh, nineteen. I think it was nineteen forty-five. Yes, in nineteen forty-five, in accordance with the Bretton Woods agreements, which took place in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. So the Bretton Woods agreements uh, led to the also led to the creation of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. So the Bretton Woods agreements took place when the U.S. still used the gold standard. So basically in the Bretton Woods agreements, they decided that the U.S. would become the world's new reserve currency instead of the instead of the old reserve currency, which was the British pound sterling. So what happened was the world's reserve currency went from being the British pound to becoming the U.S. dollar. So during the meeting, all the member nations decided that they would peg their currencies to the U.S. dollar, and the U.S. would in turn peg the dollar to gold at a price of $35 an ounce to ensure the rest of the world that the dollar was dependable. But in 1971, President Richard Nixon scrapped the gold standard but the dollar still kept its reserve status because remember it's a fiat currency the only re the only reason money has power is because the government says that um you'll get whatever you'll get in exchange what the what the money says you'll get so it's basically what fiat currency is so but the united states is the world's most powerful country world's economic superpower which is why even though the gold standard was scrapped which is why the united the us dollar is still the world's reserve currency and then and 60% of all known central bank foreign exchange reserves are made up by the us dollar and the next biggest currency is the euro and it only makes up 20% so the us dollar is really powerful when it comes when it comes to um, how much influence it has around the globe, so so how the dollar is facing decline. So the 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 weaponizing of the dollar by using sanctions also um, uh, also has uh, put the dollar in decline. As of May third, twenty nineteen, America has seven thousand nine hundred sixty seven sanctions in place. So sanctions um there are many different types of sanctions mainly economic sanctions as defined by the council on foreign relations are withdrawal of customary trade and financial relations for foreign and security policy purposes 
So sanctions um, can be uh, comprehensive and prohibiting commercial activity with regard to an entire country. So like the longstanding U.S. embargo of uh, Cuba. Or they may be targeted blocking transactions by and with particular business groups or individuals. So, yeah, sanctions basically basically um, um, basically stop or um, basically stop or add some kind of consequence to anything you do with uh, money. So with the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. dollar is so powerful that we can actually so that that the U.S. government uh, loves weaponizing it enough to use it as a, a foreign policy tool. So. Yeah, so the dollar faces decline, not only because of the national debt, but because of sanctions. So now, since the national debt keeps rising, and since the national debt, so the national debt and economic growth are um, a couple of things that can be argued. Um, a lot of people argue for deficit spending. A lot of people argue, a lot of people argue for Keynesian economic principles. Um, there's a lot of things that can go in. Basically, what happens is that if we accumulate too much debt and we can't pay the interest on that debt, um, uh, we're not going to be able to borrow borrow money. And because we're not going to be able to borrow money, because people that are going to give us money are going to uh, are going to off. Um, are going to ask for more interest on that money because they're going to think of think of uh, of uh, the uh, the uh, United States of America as not a safe place to invest their money because they don't know if they're going to get it back soon or so they're not going to know if they're going to get it back at all or if we can make the payments on the debt so and then which would make um US treasury bonds um would become more ex which people would not stop buying U.S. Treasury bonds, which would decrease the GDP, which would decrease the power of the dollar because, you know, we wouldn't be as uh, rich as a country as we are. So, yeah, the national debt does matter. I mean, I mean, if when you think about it, no president really mentions the national debt. No president really me mentions no, no presidential candidate really mentions the debt either. Like I've seen there were I'm pretty sure more than 20 people that ran for the Democratic nomination. None of them mentioned the national debt. Um, so you know the national debt is a is a big issue, and um, as a person who loves American hegemony, I would be worried if um, the United States uh, dollar lost its place as the world reserve currency because it's one of the reasons why America has huge influence around the globe. So yeah. So that's all I wanted to talk about today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fourteen Points. Sorry if it was a little bit vague. Sorry if I explained things in a way you didn't understand. Hopefully, next time I'll, I'll do better. And uh, stay tuned for another one. See you guys in the next one. Thank you. Bye-bye.